But I know you're here to worship, and we're here to learn from the, the Lord. And I want to kind of start with this particular image, because if you saw in the bulletin the title for the message, you might have been scratching your heads, thinking, I don't know if I'm going to like this sermon or not. You know, and so let me ask the first question right now. Is that a sunset or a sunrise? Yeah. Wow, we have a difference of opinion. I've heard both in here. And you can, wow, it's going to be a fight. No, that's not a sunset. No, that's a sunrise. I don't know. Actually, I'm really not sure. And when I picked it off of the internet, uh, it was like a question in that actual website. You know, I don't know if it's a sunset, sunrise. Somebody out there, scientific mind, is probably going to tell me how you could determine which it is right now. But it's interesting. Um, when you start thinking about death, is it good or is it bad? There are a lot of different factors in that, right? You know, is it good? Is it bad? Um, I've talked with folks who uh, have lived for decades and decades and decades, and they're mad at God that they're still alive. Uh, no joke. I've talked to multiple people. And when, when I talk with them, um, they're not actually trying to live more. They're like, Lord, uh, all my friends and family are, are there with you, and I've lived a good life, and I've tried to live your way, and I've... <laughs> This is a really hard thing for me to go through life right now. I can't wait to see you face to face. But I've talked with other people who don't even want to hear the word. Maybe they're skipping church, you know, during this whole Lenten season of the spring. where We're talking about death and resurrection because they're like, I don't even like the word. I don't like the thought. I don't like anything about that. And so, you know, it kind of depends on your perspective sometimes, you know. Uh, is, is death a sunset and you will never be seen again? Or is it a sunrise into a new day? and a new experience and a new eternal life. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of both, right? It's kind of both. It's the end of this particular physical experience as it is, but the scripture, inspired by God, given to us to help us to understand life right now, says there's a whole other eternal life that we could taste now and start now and then continue on that will even include the resurrection of our bodies, not exactly the way they are now. When Jesus was raised from the dead, even his own disciples initially didn't recognize him right off the bat, you know? So there was a similarity there, but it was also a little different. And some of us are like, thank God, because I don't want to live in this body forever and ever. I hope that I'll get an improved body. But your individual existence doesn't have to go away, doesn't have to be the end of the story. It can be kind of the start of a, of a new eternal life and so we start thinking about that, and I thought, okay, so when some people saw the title, When Are You Going to Die?, probably a lot of different thoughts came to mind. And maybe some of you were thinking, um, well, maybe Nathan's going to ask us that, When are you going to die? I don't know. That was a short sermon. I guess we'll go see if there are more donuts left downstairs. You know? All right, yeah, it could be really short. Um, or maybe some of you, you know, maybe you were like, maybe he's a fortune teller. <laughs> Somebody talked to me about that. And they're like, oh, are you going to tell everybody's fortune and like, and have us open up our palms and, oh, look at your wrinkle there and see how long it is. And is that, oh, wait, it's a very short wrinkle because you use hand lotion every single day. And you're like, no, I've been shortening my life. You know, no. <laughs> no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. Um, I'm working off of kind of the double meaning. It's kind of even a double entendre, but it's a double meaning of the word die and thinking about death. Because in the Bible, it talks about our physical death, but it also talks about death to our, our sinfulness. I'm going to lean into that today. 
Because there's a way in which you can die now and still be breathing, still, your heart's still beating, but you're, but you're dead now in a, in a way that actually is very positive. And the New Testament really gets at this from all kinds of different angles. But sometimes we, we haven't dug in and kind of realized it. But it can be incredibly helpful. And some of the, the folks that have seen this the most dramatically and, and it's helped them the most are those that have been the most willing to admit their own struggles. So friends of mine in like 12-step programs that have been trying to overcome horrible addictions, some of them have understood this even better than I understood it. And then I learned from them and then I passed that along to other people because it helped me to live at, with my own sinfulness and my own struggles. So I'm going to live into that today because then next week, the message is, when are you really going to live? Everybody wants to live well and, and you know, have help and just have positivity and stuff. And we, we're going to get there next week. But if we don't first die to some things that are holding us back, then you can't really live to some new things. Some of you remember the movie Braveheart? Every man dies, but not every man really. And you're like, I don't watch movies. Not every man really lives, William Wallace. I mean, that was a real quote from this, this freedom fighter, William Wallace. Every man dies, not every man really lives. And so we're going to talk about living, really living a wonderful, powerfully, wonderful, joyful life next week. And we'll taste it this week. But first, we've got to deal with some hard subjects. So we think about this whole idea of death and resurrection. The cross, we have a giant cross here. Why? Because death and resurrection is the central focus of our faith. Why do you put it right in the middle? Some churches have, have Jesus on the cross dying. Well, what's the point? And for you, long-time Christians have been walking with Jesus a long time, you understand the importance of that. That if we don't understand the death of Jesus rightly, that we don't understand his resurrection, nor do we understand the eternal life that you and I can have right this minute. <laughs> it's all over in the New Testament, including 1 Corinthians 15, 14. I've mentioned this before. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. That'd be a wonderful thing for us to repeat like all together. <laughs> Let's say this together. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Now I have contemporary uh, pastor friends that, that would disagree with this and would say, no, 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 no. If Jesus was just a really good guy and he died on the cross, just kind of a uh, of a, a, you know, it's tragedy, but, you know, he's just misunderstood and there is no resurrection. I can still preach about that. I can still help people to have hope and that kind of stuff. I understand that point of view, but that's not biblical at all. Like the whole New Testament, you might as well just kind of like throw that away if the resurrection of Jesus isn't essential to our faith. Like he's like, Paul's like leaning into this saying, look, if Jesus hasn't died and then raised from the dead, all the self-help and positive thought that you want to have is only going to work in this life, and then you're going to be in a box in the ground, either a big box or a little box, and that's it. Had a nice positive thinking life, but that's the end of the story. And some philosophers that are atheists, and some scientists have looked at this that are atheists, and they've said, well, you don't really have a real good reason to be positive. And they're right. <laughs> like, if that's it. And so... In the New Testament perspective, Jesus' resurrection from the dead is essential, and it gives us hope both for our bodily death, but also this idea of death to sin. In the book of John, chapter 11, Jesus, even before he died and rose from the dead, he told a lady, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, right? 
Jesus is like, look, there's, a, there's an eternal life that begins now, and even when you physically die, that's not the end of the story. It keeps on going. You taste it now, you have it in full later. Paul said it's like looking at a mirror that's all dirty, and you can kind of see your face in there, you kind of see it now, but eventually that mirror will be cleaned off and you'll see yourself better than you've ever seen yourself before. Through Jesus, what Jesus does for us makes all the difference in the world to how we live now and how we live in the future. The book of Galatians, this whole idea that his death counts now in ways that sometimes we overlook, really is, is kind of exemplified. Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who, lo- who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, I think it was the wind ensemble that played, were you there when they crucified my Lord. Is that right? Okay. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Some of the little kids in here might have looked at you and said, you might be old enough. (laughs) I don't know. No, none of us were there literally. And yet, this New Testament is clear that we were crucified at that time. Not only were we there, We experienced it because Jesus did it for us right then. So it's as though we were there with him and he dies for us. I heard a pastor talk about, you know, kind of comparing this to the idea that like if you live in a kingdom back in the Middle Ages, whatever the king did, you were responsible for. You remember that kind of time period? (laughs) Not that you lived back then. I'm not saying you're that old. I get it. But... If the king declared war, you went to war. If the, if the king was killed, that was like killing your family members. Now you had to go and defend your, your whole country. Like, so in the Bible, written 2,000 years ago in this part with the, the New Testament, it talks about Adam representing us as though he was kind of the king of the human race. And Adam sinned, and now we're all kind of under this family tradition of sin. Maybe you develop some sinful habits that, you know, you're like, man, I wish my mom and dad would have stopped doing that so that I wouldn't have inherited that way of thinking or behaving. There is a family resemblance and there's a way of family history of sin, even in in our our life, you know, kind of generation to generation. But in, in this way, we've got kind of a spiritual death that Adam brought. So then Jesus, representing all of humanity, that's the importance of him being God and human, as he is human, And God, simultaneously, he represents us. His death counts for all that we have ever done. His resurrection, then, counts for us if we will allow that to happen. So that now, we realize that we have been crucified with Christ. And now, as we live, we're, in a way, dead and alive at the same time. We're dead to certain things, and we're alive to certain things. Because we were crucified with Christ if we allow him to give us forgiveness and love because of his death for us. And to give us the resurrection power of God that comes upon us when we follow him, that Holy Spirit, or as we said a little earlier, the Holy Ghost coming in us and empowering us. So now we live for him. Okay? All right? Let me just hit you with a couple of other passages here. Maybe that some of these others will help other people if that one didn't connect. Our old self was crucified with him, it says in the book of Romans. Our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer 
be slaves to sin. Now, if you were baptized as a baby and you had wonderful Christian parents and you had good Sunday school teachers behind the scenes and you grow up maybe in this church and it just helped your faith, you don't maybe remember being a hardcore sinner, right? Like I, I prayed a prayer, Jesus, I, I accept your love and forgiveness for myself and I follow you and you are my leader and my savior when I was like seven. That doesn't mean when I was six, I was like, you know, selling drugs and assassinating people and stuff. Like I, I, you know, I didn't have this crazy dramatic change. However, that body of sin has always wanted to resurrect itself and kind of drag me down. And some of you longtime Christians, you, you know that feeling. But there are other testimonies of people where they, they didn't have that background and that kind of Christian upbringing the whole time. And they know the dramatic change to follow Jesus. And they realize it is like I died and then I was totally born again. Like God just completely changed me from the inside out. And so this whole old self was crucified with Christ. And now we are embodied with that Holy Spirit of God coming into us, helping us to love and forgive in greater and greater ways than we've ever been able to before. Sometimes if you were raised in the church, you take that for granted and you don't realize the help that is being given to you daily by the Holy Spirit and thanks to what Jesus has done for us. Others of us, it really, really has been dramatic. Another passage, 2 Timothy 2, verse 11. It is a trustworthy statement for if we died with him, we will also live with him. You taste it now, you get it in full later. You died with Christ now, you start living for Christ and with Christ in you now. And then when you physically die, you realize you're going to be with him face to face forever and ever. And there are images in the Bible where people have visions of people who have died and they're with Jesus. Well, he talked about it and then people had that experience. And occasionally you might even have friends or family that have had those kind of experiences. I've talked with hospice workers where just before death, sometimes people have really had this experience of seeing loved ones and seeing Jesus. Some of you have probably have heard testimonies like that. Like, like this is real stuff. The resurrection of Jesus has opened up a way of living now and in eternity that is just mind-blowing. In the book of Philippians, then, we read this whole idea. What is more? I consider everything a loss. Now we're talking about this very moment. What difference does it make now? Everything I consider a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them, what's that word? Garbage. And in the Greek, this is a pretty harsh term. I consider everything else in my life garbage, trash, compared to to knowing Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. When we had our, our confession time in the bulletin, we were reading that. Pride. I'm great. I'm so holy and I'm better than everybody else. And <laughs> Paul's like, look, I used to think that way. And then I, I realized that's garbage. I had, to, I had to get rid of that kind of thinking because I'm just as bad as anybody else. I need forgiveness. I need to be able to follow God. Or maybe we're living for garbage. You know, we work over time to be able to afford stuff that eventually is going to waste away. The house someday will be torn down. The car's going to wear out. The stuff that we loved might be passed down a couple of generations and then somebody sells it on eBay, right? I mean, you know, you just can't get obsessed with the stuff of this world. You use it for good. 
You use it for good. You use it for what Jesus wants, but you kind of consider it garbage because if you let that be the main thing that you live for, it's going to wear you out. It's going to waste away. And when you're in a big box or a little box, it's not going to matter. Amen? What will matter is that investment in Jesus Christ and the people around you, helping them to know Jesus. I want to know Christ, yes, and to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. This is the passage I talked about last week. That's the whole, that's the whole setting of this. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. <laughs> I'm just going to thirst for it. I'm going to make every effort to know Jesus, his power of his resurrection now, that I can taste now and help me now, and then forever and ever, amen. So I will count myself dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's make it personal, and then I'll lead us in a prayer time. Okay, let's make this personal. Dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dead to sin. What do you need to quit and be dead to so that you can be alive to what God wants you to be and have the joy and the peace? Next week, it's a lot more joy and peace. Right now, I just want to focus on Holy Spirit, tell us and give us an idea. Are there things that we are doing that we need to quit, turn over to the Lord, die to, so that we can be set free now and taste freedom now and be headed for eternity with the Lord? I used to, I used to mentor students in an urban setting uh, in, a, in a school, high school. And one of the high school students said to me one time when I mentioned AA, he goes, AA is for quitters. Yeah, I didn't know whether to laugh or not either. It was hilarious, and I couldn't quite read him to tell, you know, is he like, you know, what's he, what's he getting at here? But that's right. And for, for many folks, they've said, this is phenomenal. And the big book was written by Christians who realized that we need God's help. And when we lean into God and we say, God, I've got to have your help because I can't manage this on myself or on my own. We get the help. We're able to quit and then have freedom and life and sometimes even more money to spend on, on good Christ-centered things that we were spending on other stuff, right? Like, Holy Spirit, show us what we need to quit, die to, and say, I'm dead to that. I've had folks say, and this is just one example. I don't know what yours is. I had a person say one time, you know, the drive-through beverage store you know, nothing inherently wrong with that. But if you're using that to feed your addiction to alcohol, see, I was talking about I had to go a different way home entirely so that I would avoid it. So if you're taking notes, I would write P-A-D, pray for help, because it's God's help that we need more than ourselves. A would then be avoid. <laughs> I'm going to avoid the temptation. In the Lord's Prayer, we say, lead us not into temptation. So we avoid it. And D is distraction, distraction. I graduated from high school and started college in Florida. In Florida, it's hotter than most places. When it's hotter in most places, do people wear more clothing or less clothing? Less. In Florida, lust is like a state sport. Like, you know, you could have like a competition on lust, you know? And it's like, and in that environment, you have to start distracting yourself you pray, God, all right, bless that person. I don't want to lust. I'm going to try to avoid situations, but sometimes you just can't avoid it, right? Sometimes Satan's sneaky, you know, here you go, here it is. And now I'm going to pray, I'm going to avoid, and now distract. Okay, look at something else. Look at something else. 
of a friend who's like, I've got to stop having my phone in my bedroom at night. Literally. Adult saying, I'm going to keep it up because it just is a temptation. It's not good for any number of different reasons. You distract your mind then. If you can't avoid it, you distract. Back to a prayer of God. God help me. So next week, we lean into this whole idea of being alive to God in Christ Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit, the scripture says, love, joy, peace. Would you like more love in your life? Joy in your life? Peace in your life? Patience, forbearance, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I need more self-control. Where does it come from? God. As I die to sin, consider myself dead to sin and alive to God. So here's the way I'm going to pray. I want you to think of something you need to die to. Stop trying to manage it because it's unmanageable. It's dragging you down. It's dragging you away from God or into some kind of pattern of negative living or whatever. You think, okay, I've got to die to that. I'm not going to negotiate with it. I'm not going to try to manage it. I need to die to it. And here's the prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, some of us are thinking, that list is long. There is so much I need to die to because I am just enslaved in sin. I pray that they would identify with you, Jesus, in this moment and die to that sin just entirely because you on the cross destroyed its power over their lives. So may they die now to sin and be set free from that by your power, Jesus, as you died and rose from the dead and canceled that debt, paid that penalty, and broke the curse. May they be set free this day. May this be their spiritual birthday. For the rest of us, when we think of that one thing that just is eating at us that we need to die to, we can't manage it on our own. Jesus, give us the power to be able to be set free from that and to die to it. And as we think about that temptation, to be able to say, you are dead to me, temptation. You're dead to me. I died in Christ and I am alive now because of his resurrection. I call upon his power and the power of the Holy Spirit to break that and to set me free and help me live in joy. May it be so in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God's people said, amen. Amen. I'll let you pause just for a second, thinking about that. Maybe some of you are still praying. Maybe some of you want to have people pray with you. We'll have people in the corners, prayer team partners. Would you raise your hand if you're going to be a prayer team partner? We've got them here and here. And they're going to be over here. And then even if you need to go into the prayer room and pray after the service, that's fine. But you'll, they'll still be right there in those corners. I'm going to invite you prayer partners to come forward as the rest of us also stand as we sing together and praise the Lord together. Victory in Jesus. Could there be a more appropriate hymn? Victory in Jesus. Let's stand as we sing together. Mm-hmm.